Good morning, one more time. Good morning. I think y'all are late now, huh? Good morning, one more time. It's good to see each and every one of you. I just want to say before I jump in, with an introduction like that, I just need to read the scripture and sit down. <laughs> sit down. Somebody give God praise for my baby's mother, Dr. Kendra Moment in the place. Amen. And happy Mother's Day to each and every one of you. Listen, uh, for Mother's Day, I want to say this. If you're here with your son and your daughter and you've kind of come to check out what their church is about, I want to let you know that we've spent the last three weeks talking about sex. (laughs) And what better way to celebrate Mother's Day than to sit next to your child and talk about what got them here? No, really, we're excited today as we actually culminate this series today uh, called Love Over Lust, as we have been talking about sex and sexuality. But I want to take just a moment and invite you into the narrative of how we even got here to get to this point to talk about what we're going to discuss today. So as a leadership, here, a leadership team here at Victory Church, we do a lot of intentional praying and deciphering about the journey of God that he wants us to go on to really take the congregation. Somebody say Journey. We are not a church that kind of just says, okay, pastors, just wake up in the morning, pick a straw out the Bible, and just preach what you feel that morning. We want to make sure that we're on an intentional journey because God is always looking to take us somewhere. God actually wants from us measurable progress in a reasonable amount of time. And what we want to do is we want to set ourselves up to actually walk in that progress. And so at the end of the year last year, uh, Pastor Johnson felt strongly from the Lord that God was leading us to kind of linger around uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for most of the year this year, and that is where you will find the Sermon on the Mount. How many people have been blessed by the series we've been walking in so far? Amen. And so at the beginning of the year, we started off by kind of going through this series on vision because we had so many people join the church last, last year, we wanted to make sure we were starting on the same playing field. But in February, we started talking about the Beatitudes, the blessed are you statements of Jesus, talking about the character that he's looking to describe. And so as we felt like this was the Lord to kind of hover around Matthew 5, 6, and 7, All the themes that we started to look at as we forecasted in the year looked like, man, y'all are on to something now. God is speaking. Start with the Beatitudes. Start with the character of Christ. Go then to talking about being salt and light right before Easter. Then out of Easter, you know, we jump right into a, a sex series and starting to talk about, you know, why God says no to sexual immorality, talking about the purity of sex in marriage. And even last week, we talked about radical purity so that we can make sure that our sexuality is actually given to to the Lord in a pure way. And so with looking at all those things, we even jumped ahead and said, "Okay, let's look and see what even Father's Day has for us when it comes thematically in the order that we were going. And we saw, man, this is good. We're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven. So, God, we are really cooking with grease right now. And so what are we talking about today? Today, where we land, I want to actually read the scripture because with all these things lining up, with all those things that we have talked about so far, surely on Mother's Day, it's going to be an inspiring word, an awesome word, an exciting word. Let's go to the scripture real quick. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, it says this. It has been said that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Let me keep on reading. Maybe that's going to change a little bit. But I will tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I was like, surely, God, we just missed it. But I do want to say the scripture today for the message is on divorce. Yes, on Mother's Day. I'm not even sure I want to preach this message right now. But as we started to look a little deeper, we felt the Lord was really challenging us, saying, but why did I actually say this in scripture? Why did Jesus actually position this right here? What are you really supposed to get? And I don't know about you. Has God ever challenged you with something where you read his word and you're like, the rational thing would be for me to skip over this and come back to something that feels good later? But how many of you know God is always many steps ahead of us? His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways because he has infinite knowledge. And so as we dug into this and we started to ask, why are we reading this today? What are you trying to tell us today? God just kind of nudged us and said, the reason that Jesus said what he said is because he really wanted to protect women. The whole reason why we see this particular scripture talking about and highlighting divorce right here is because Jesus wanted to protect women. And so as we have gone through these different weeks of ministering, again, talking about sex, talking about radical purity, right after Jesus talks about looking and lusting and radically dealing with sexual sin, he turns and talks about divorce, and then after that, he starts to talk about vows. Why? Because the system in that time that he actually came into the earth in, it saw women as discardable as just another thing, something to throw away, a tool to be used for the usage of someone. But what we know if we actually read the Bible a little further is that in the Old Testament, God actually set up the Israeli society in a way that valued women. They actually valued women more than any other society at that time. And women, they were seen in every part of the fabric of society. You had women preachers. You had women prophets. You had those like Sarah, Miriam, Ruth, Deborah. um, uh, The list goes on. But what we see here is that we know that some things started to shift. But let me just be very clear about what the state of things looked like back in the Old Testament. God spoke through Malachi, and he said in chapter 2 of Malachi, he said this, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord, the heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Let me say that one more time. He said to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. The reason he had to set that straight because God wanted to be very clear how he honored and how he saw women. But what happened, when you look at the Bible and look historically, between Malachi and Matthew, there are 400 years of silence. And what we see here is that a lot of things happened where people started to come away from the statutes of God, and they started to do their own thing. Has anybody in here, you knew what was right to do, but you started to do your own thing? There were no different. But what we see right here is that the culture had got to a point where their honor and their value for women was degraded. But what we see here is that in that time, women, they couldn't testify. They couldn't go to court and actually be heard from. They couldn't talk to men in public. If a woman was caught unveiled in public, she could be divorced right there on the spot. And most women, they were actually illiterate. They weren't even allowed to be taught the Bible. Though a woman's role at that time was simply to be married, to cook, and to have babies. But God said there's so much more. 
And one of the sayings that actually reinforced that, even by a popular rabbi, listen to this. This was kind of hard when I heard it. One of the sayings that was said often was, may the words of the Torah be burned, then they should be handed over to women. Basically saying, we might as well pack up. If, if the gospel, if the Bible is actually going to be put in the hands of women, we don't want any part of that. But what I love is that we have a God that sent his son Jesus to enter into that time right on time so that he can change everything. Amen? Because when Jesus said when he came on the scene that I have come that you might have life, I have come to set the oppressed free, there was no one more oppressed than women at that time. So what he was doing when he was starting to talk about divorce, he was making it very clear that I'm for women. I value women. I want to protect women. But I want to pause real quick, and I want us to do something that I did even last week. Let's just pause for a second. Let's take a deep breath in and blow out. Because some of y'all are like, Mom, I brought you on the wrong day. <laughs> We're talking about divorce. I don't know what he's about to say right now. Take one more deep breath and blow out. I want to put our hearts at ease because this message, this sermon is really not about divorce. This message is really not about all the, the cruelties and things that have gone unfairly to women. But what I do want to say is that I want to make a call and let you know that I know divorce happens for many different reasons. I shared with you even last week that I was a product of divorce in my first marriage before I was able to meet this wonderful, beautiful, fine woman in this green suit looking all good. But in that, I had to walk through some things because that divorce that I went through was not my choice. It was not something I wanted. I fought for the marriage, and unfortunately, we could not reconcile. It was actually a, a, a state of life and death that we had to make some decisions. And that might not be everybody's story. Some of us said, I just woke, woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and I was out. But no matter where you found yourself, I want to let you know that there's no condemnation today. So you don't have to sit here in shame, or you don't have to catch me in the lobby and try to explain to me your factor of divorce so I can be that, that one to come and bear witness with you. Amen? What I want to say is that I stand as an example, as proof that God is a God of a second chance. He's not just the God of a second chance. He's the God of a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth chance. How many have, can be a witness today? But God does value marriage so much that he does say in his word that he hates divorce. Why? Because nobody wins in divorce. There's always a death in divorce. But what we see here is that divorce is not the unforgivable sin. You can come and be redeemed from those things. Somebody say a big amen to that. Amen. So here's the thing. If you do have something going on, if you do have something going on in your marriage, we do want you to talk to somebody. We have a great marriage ministry here. You can see someone out in the lobby, and we want to help you because we want to make sure marriages are strong here at Victory Church. But this is what I want to say. I'm not really here to talk about divorce. What I'm here on Mother's Day is to say these three things that God loves women, not only does he love women, but he protects women, and that he values women. I need to get that in the atmosphere because, again, as my wife said, there are so many different levels of where people come in to church, especially on a day like this. So repeat this after me. Say, God loves women. Say, God protects women. And God values women. So if this is the case, why are we even having this conversation? Why do I have to talk about this? I have to talk about this because of something that happened in the garden in Genesis. And so for those who don't know the story, let's go back to the Garden of Eden because the story starts like this. Satan, she tempts Eve. 
Eve, she ate the forbidden fruit. And I say it like this. Adam ate with her and allowed her to because he didn't say anything to stop her, even though he was right there silent. Not only did that happen, then now God says they are cursed, but he doesn't just curse them. He cursed three people. He cursed Adam, he cursed Eve, and he curses Satan. Let me read this to you because I want to show you something in Scripture that's very important that's going to build where we're going today. Genesis 3 verse 14 says this. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live, and I will cause, listen to this, hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The very first and predominant curse that was given right there by God is that the curse of the enemy was that there will be hostility between Satan and the woman. Let me just say it clearly like this. The game plan of the devil, believe it or not, was to focus on the woman. Now, that's not to make you scared, women. And that's not to to say that the devil doesn't come after men. But what we see here is that there's this thing that from the foundations of the earth, the devil knew that if he can kind of get to the woman, he could actually shift everything. Why? Because right there, God said, there's this connection between you two that when the woman stands up, when the woman sees beyond the surface, there are things that women see that men never see. Some of y'all don't want to say amen. I'm going to tell you from my own, my own experience. There are things that I don't see, people that I talk to, situations that I get myself into, that when I tell my wife about it, she was like, I don't know about that. So much so that sometimes you're hesitant to tell your wife about certain things because you're like, I know she's going to see right through it. She's going to say something about it. But what I have learned in my wisdom is to start to listen to my wife. I started to listen to her because I've seen too many times where I have thought something. Man, don't, don't stone me now. You're gonna, I'm going to get with you in a minute. I have seen too many times that there are things that are beneath the surface that are spiritual more than they are natural. And because of this hostility that, that the devil has focusing on women, we need to understand that we have the privilege. We shouldn't go away from it. We should lean into the privilege of a praying woman. Can I get a witness in the room right now that could tell me that you have a praying grandmother? You have a praying auntie. You have a praying mother. Some woman in your life who has prayed you out of situations that you did not want to be in, but you knew that something had to change, so you go to her in prayer. We're a multi-generational church and a multicultural church, but I want to do a heat check real quick and see who remembers Helen Baylor. Helen Baylor. Can I get a show of hands in the house? There was this song that still, from a young kid, rings in my head, and she would say, I had a praying grandmother. And she talked about how that grandmother would be praying, and she said she could go to that grandmother, and the grandmother would be like, I call on the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about right now, but what I'm talking about is he, she was talking about the importance of waking up at times when she was under the influence of drugs and seeing her grandmother pacing the floor, speaking to the devil and speaking to God, saying, you will not have my child. Some of y'all can bear witness that there are some mothers in here, some aunties in here, that the, the kids don't know how they got out of the mess, but it was your prayers that brought them up. The kids don't know how they got out of that despair, but it was your prayers that went and interceded on their behalf. I think we ought to take a 15-second praise break and just give God praise for some aunties, for some grandmothers, 
for some mom and them, from some neighbors that say, I will not allow the devil to have these kids. I'm going to pray for them. We ought to give a bigger hand clap for that. So here's the thing. When when I'm reminded about that, I know that we do have some praying fathers. I happen to have a great praying father who has interceded on my behalf, but they don't write songs about a praying granddaddy. (laughs) Unfortunately. Why? Because there was something that was done at the beginning of time that made this connection in the spirit that God said, if you're going to truly see the fullness of what I have for you, you can't push a woman to the side. You have to invite a woman in to be able to help you see. A real example of something that happens in our lives, uh, when I talk about how you as women, you hate the devil more than men. Man, y'all kind of like, I don't know, bro, but let me say this. This is an example of something that happens in my house. Our son sometimes will wake up, you know, a little early, early than we're ready to go get him. And he'll start making noise and saying, Mommy, Daddy. And, you know, Kendra, you know, she'll go in the room and she starts casting out devils. She starts speaking life. She starts saying, Maximus, say, get out. He said, get out. And then she'll be saying, I plead the blood of Jesus. You can sleep at peace. And I'm like, cool. I'm glad you went in there. Y'all want to know what I do? I lay on the side of the bed, I look at the camera on the nanny, and I press audio, and I say, Maximus, lay down. In Jesus' name. That's all I got for you right now. I'm going back to sleep. What am I saying? She has this insight that I have to appreciate and not condemn. Because I could be a person and say, oh, it don't take all of that. But what I will say, I would rather lean into the insight that God has given her than to actually see our son operate on repercussions that could have been solved spiritually. And some of us in here, women, men included, we don't always see the value in being able to yield to someone who sees far beyond what you see. This doesn't diminish the power of men. We are still called to lead. We are still called to be the standard. We are still called to be those who protect But what I'm saying here is that we can't discard our women. Amen. So here's the thing. If you've ever wondered why there is this fissure between men and women, it's because of the curse. It's because of this curse, because God, what he did, he actually gave details about this curse that after he talked to Satan and Eve, he then went a little further. Let's go to verse 16 of Genesis 3. What he does is he says, I'm going to pronounce a curse on Eve now because of sin. And in verse 16, he says, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. Can all the women who have had children in here say, dang, Eve, it was her fault. He goes on to say, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. I want you to write this down. There are actually three curses that were actually given in that one statement. Number one, it was that you would have painful childbirth. Before then, there was not supposed to be this pain that happened in childbirth. Number two, women will desire to control men. And number three, men will rule over women. So what we see here is before the fall, there was united and unified things that operated between Adam and Eve. But now because of sin, division and competition actually linger in our world. And if you ever wonder why you look around the world and see so much destruction, so many people pushing people to the side, it's because of the curse. And we live in a world that this curse is still alive and well. Somebody say amen. 
You see people not giving value to women. You see men actually saying that women are only this and only that. You see women saying, I need to control this man. Man, I need to try to do something because they won't give me my spot. That is a sign of the curse. So much so that we now have boys who are growing up and being conditioned through music, through images, that women are just commodities and objects to be used. You're seeing little girls growing up. That's why we prayed over these children. You see little girls actually judging themselves and comparing themselves by IG models, thinking that's the the, the glory of life, that turn into women that now are trying to clamor for success and clamor for influence, not saying that influence is bad, but in the wrong order it is. And so this curse is in full effect where it says your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. However, in this church today on Mother's Day, I do have good news. Somebody smile back at me. I do have good news. Y'all are like, will you get to the good news, please? I have good news today, and and we should get excited about this, but brothers, I need you to help me preach this message today. Amen? I got a weak amen on this side. (laughs) Brothers, can I get you to help me in this this message today? Amen. Amen. So I need you to repeat these things after me, because we're going to declare some things about the good news for women. So, brothers, repeat this after me. Say, women, the curse is broken off of your life. Come on, say it one more time like you believe it. Say, women, the curse is broken off of your life. I see some women putting their hand in their man's face like, say it with your chest. One more time, guys. Let's say it like these are our women that we love. Say, women, the curse is broken off of your life. That's really a good place to shout right there. Watch this. When Jesus was crucified, he became the curse. So while it was bad news that there was a curse that caused all these different things, when Jesus was crucified, he became the curse. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but in Galatians 3, it says that Christ redeemed us from the the curse by becoming the curse for us and hanging on the tree. As a matter of fact, I want to say it like this. Through Jesus, the curse is broken off of you. So much so that it's not up for debate. What do I mean? The curse must be compliant to Christ. Somebody needs to write that down because you need to be reminded later about where you get your power from, where you get your authority. It's not just wishing upon a star. It's not going to the God of the universe. What we're saying is that God says the curse without debate must be compliant to Christ. And so what that does, that puts us in a posture to understand no longer, this is in your notes, no longer do we view women through the lens of the curse, but now we view women through the lens of the cross. I need to say that one more time. No longer do we view women through the lens of the curse, where they are downtrodden, where they're looked at as an object. Now we view women through the lens of the cross. So what does that mean? That means no longer do we operate from this place that you desire to control your husband or a man. No longer will a man have this posture where he is ruling over you with an iron fist. No longer are you one as a woman who has to strive for power. I know this is reconditioning some of our mindset. But no longer are you having to be treated inferior. And so as we're receiving this message, as we're getting this and getting retrained in the spirit of our minds, we need to understand that the cross is the great equalizer between men and women. I can even sense as I'm speaking this, even on Mother's Day, that there's some reconditioning happening because we don't live in a world that believes that. 
Why? It's because this curse is still alive and well in the world outside of these four walls. Which means if it's outside of these four walls, that means sometimes it, it kind of comes in here. But we're saying by the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, we will not operate in the curse. We will operate in the power of the cross. Amen. Amen. Here's the thing. I want to just make this clear, because even in that statement I just made, what I know I'm contending with is this narrative that even with Christianity, it actually holds women down. It's actually confining women. But Christianity, if you look back to its history, it is where you get the first liberation of women and where Christ always shows that he values women, which is why we need to lean into this. Write this statement down. Whenever the gospel is most embraced, women are most empowered. Wherever the gospel is most embraced, women are most empowered. And so what this simply means is as we're navigating through this and looking at this, the closer we get to the cross, the more men and women get to come and show up and live on equal plane. But the further we get from the cross is the more you will actually see disempowered women and the more inequality exists. So our desire is to continue to move closer and closer to the cross. Why? So we can walk hand in hand with women and men coming together to do what God says. I want to just go ahead and say this right now because I also understand that we live in a world that, that kind of condemns one side or the other. When you hear the word feminism sometimes, it's like, oh, that's a bad word. I want to just say this. I'm a feminist. But I might not be a feminist in the way that you actually describe it. I'm a feminist because the actual de definition of the word is someone who protects the value and the rights of a woman. Yeah. I'm not a feminist in the radical view where you're trying to overpower men and saying us four and no more. Or we're trying to overtake and do all these things and set things on fire. I got another clap on there. Somebody said, y'all clap for that one, clap for the other one. The reason I said that is because society has formed these pockets that we live in. And what these pockets do, they disrupt us and they make us separated when God desires for us to be together. And so as we're looking at this, here it is. Gender does not determine your worth. God's design does. And so the reason why we're asking and talking about this, about being made in God's image, is that we have to be a people that as just as much as we want have to want to have that desire to be together, we have to hold up that standard with our actions. Amen? And so that leads me to number two. Men, repeat this after me. Good news for women. Say, women, your value is based on your image. Say it one more time. Say, women, your value is based on your image. Now, if you hear that in the natural and from a fleshly standpoint, you might be thinking that's chauvinist. But I'm not talking about this image. I'm not talking about how long your hair is, how small your waist is, what type of clothes you wear. What I'm talking about is that it's not about how much money you make. It's not about how good you look. It's about knowing that you were fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. It's about you not being those who are pushed down but lifted up because of God's image. God says he has a plan to prosper you, a plan to give you a great hope in the future. And in Genesis 1:27, he says this. This is very key. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. I want you all to repeat this after me. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, 
He created who? He created them, male and female. He created them. I'm slowing that down on purpose because I don't want us to get caught up in just celebrating Mother's Day or looking at it one-sided. I need us to know that God said there's an equal playing field right here. That I created both of them in my image. I didn't create because one person had certain body parts. Now you're superior. I created you male and female to coexist together, to work together, to complement each other. And this is key because if we don't see ourselves, especially women in the house today, if you see yourself from a limited view, you'll be limited. But if you see yourself in the image of God, which is limitless, you will walk in limitless ability. And that goes for the men in the house. We have to complement that, see that, nurture that. And so what this means, again, is that your value does not come based on how small your waist is. Your value does not come based on if you have a Ph.D., your value does not come based on if you have an MBA. Your value does not come if you have a BBL. Your value does not come in you allowing people to sample your cookies to see if they're okay. Your value comes based on putting yourself in the standard of what the Word of God says. And in Proverbs chapter 31, it says this that highlights your value. It says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Yeah. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Let me, let me say this from a man's point of view. It might be your outside beauty that catches a man's eye, but it's your inner beauty that catches his heart. Come on, I said it last week. I, I might have to see you the first time because you walk by. I can't control what I see, but I need to control what I look at because when I take that second look, I'm looking deeper past your outside appearance. I'm looking to see how you start to talk about the things of the Lord. I'm looking to see, are you trying to just be caught, you know, letting somebody watch you walk away, or are you actually trying to walk towards the Lord to allow him to be your Lord and Savior? Because knowing that allows us to put the priority into what we value. So yes, when I look at my wife, yes, she's looking good in this green suit today. She's looking good every day, but what I'm doing is I'm actually valuing not just her outer beauty, I value the fact that she's not so consumed with trying to be a boss out there that she's trying to boss me. She's consumed with allowing the boss of bosses cover her life and lead her into the path of righteousness so that when we come together, she understands she doesn't have to be Dr. Moment when she comes in the house. She can be my wife, and I actually value what she has walked through. I value the way that God has made her, because here's a major key for all the men in the house. Write this statement down. You can't want the valuable parts of your wife when it works for you, but then not want it when she's telling you something you don't want to know. Let that sit there one second, I'm trying to help some people in here. Because transparently, early on in our marriage, I remember many times where I would, in moments where I wanted to do something, I had my mind made up, I'm like, baby, I'm just doing this. I'm the man. But when I actually needed something and needed her insight and needed her wisdom, now I'm kind of saying, babe, hey, how you doing? You good? I got these flowers for you. I can't try to butter her up and actually value those things. In those moments, I have to value it all times. And so as we're looking at this, here it is. We have to be people who know that, ladies, your value is solely built on how God made you in his image. Lock that in. Take that to the bank. 
Which takes me to this third thing that I want to say that's good news for women. Men, repeat this last one after me. Say, women, God created you for greatness. One more time. Say, women, God created you for greatness. I want you to hear something that God says very clearly and what he intimates is this. He has made everyone in his image, but God created us equal in essence, but different in function. He created us equal in essence, but different in function, which simply means, yes, there are some things that we are to do differently because we have an assignment. We're supposed to take advantage of that. But what we can't do is diminish how your wife or your woman or your girlfriend or your auntie was made based on you being someone who was just born as a man. And so as we look at Genesis 2, hear this. This is very important. The Lord just kind of plopped this on me the other day. Genesis 2, verse 22, he says this. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I want to show you a word picture. Babe, can you come up here for a second? As she's making her way up here, I want to let you know, women, God was so intentional in how he made you. He even decided on where he was going to take you from in the man. As I started to read this and started to think about it, I'm a person who likes to know what certain words mean and what it signifies. And so as I started to read and do research, I looked up why did he actually pull her from the rib? And when I looked at the major function of a rib, the major function of a rib is to aid in respiration, meaning it's to aid in how you breathe. It's to aid in even your lifeline of being able to move and live and walk out life. And so what I would say is that God could have pulled her from any other body part. He could have pulled her from the chest. Then we would be rationalizing stuff, saying the woman always has to be out in front or they have to be on the chest in the center of the man. He could have pulled her from the foot. Then we'll be saying other things. She should be under his feet and held down. Praise God. He could have pulled her from the back. But then we would be saying, oh, she always needs to be in the back. Let me just kind of give you this commercial brought to you by Jesus Christ. I really don't believe it when people say behind every man, there is a good woman. God said, I took her from the rib, which means I took her from your side. Meaning that in order for you to actually breathe, to be aided in your respiration, to be aided in the things that you're walking in, to be able to catch your breath, to be able to walk into the things, you need to make sure that you have the rib in the right place. You need to make sure that you have life-giving spirit next to you, with you, walking with you. Why? Because Eve's name, even if you actually look at it in the Hebrew, it means to breathe. It means to live or to give life. Hear this. This is the revelation the Lord gave me. Adam was actually told to name all the animals before. So he was able to name everything in the Garden of Eden, but nothing reproduced until Eve came on the scene. And so what that means is that I have to be one that as I'm walking with my wife, as I'm walking with my woman, when I see certain stuff, I can name something and say, yeah, I believe the Lord is asking me to write this book. But until I actually invite my wife in and say, breathe on that thing, it might just stay dormant. 
I can actually see that the Lord has given me a witty idea to start an invention. And until I actually give her that insight and say, babe, I'm thinking about this, she will breathe on that thing and start to give me things that I didn't think about. Now we can keep moving on. Until I actually see something, name it, invite my counterparts into the situation, it will be dormant without life. But God says, if you will actually see the value in the women, and I'm not just talking about marriage. If you will see the value in women who compliment you, there are things that have been dead on life support that you need a woman to breathe into. Somebody give God praise for a woman that can breathe into something. Now, listen, I said women are made for greatness. Because the life-giving God made you for greatness. And so what we have to know is that by design, you are created to breathe life into some situations. By design, you are created to not just see something and be silent, but to be that person and say, I want to add value to it. And breathing on it doesn't mean taking it over. Let me set that straight. (laughs) Breathing on it means, hey, I want to put some wind in the sails of what God is saying in your life. Because if we can yield one to another, then we're able to walk it out. I recently did a wedding, and I love using this scripture when I do weddings because I always talk about Ephesians 5. And a lot of times what we do, especially in our society, we'll read the first part of Ephesians 5 when it says, women, submit to your husband. We're like, nope, I'm out. Close the Bible. I'm done. But what I always say when I do weddings is that this part of instructions for the woman is very short. But when you read on, the rest of Ephesians 5 is giving a whole lot of instructions to the man. Because when he says submit, submitting is not this cowardice thing. It's not being pushed down. Submitting means we put ourselves under each other to complement each other. We submit one to another because you have things that I need and I have things that you need. But if we never see that, we'll miss it. And so The major part of the message that I wanted to give you today is to not discount the greatness that God put on the inside of you. Not even discounting the greatness that God wants to bring through you. Because sometimes you don't know how you planting the seed and somebody else is going to affect generations to come. There are mothers in here, grandmothers in here. You thought you missed it. You didn't see yourself as valuable. You didn't see yourself as enough because you you didn't get the chance to be the one on front street. But if you think about your children, every time your children do something in the earth and they add value, you add value. You think about your grandchildren, your niece and your nephew. Every time that they do something that adds value, you get the compounded value of being obedient to the things of the Lord. I want to read the scripture that just lines that out as we get ready to close here today. Paul writes to Timothy and he starts to remind him that you have so much more in you than you think you have. Not only do you have so much more in you than what you think you have, this spiritual lineage didn't start with you. I want to remind you of what was imparted in you. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives on the inside of you. That's a word for some people in this room that you have counted yourself as a failure, thinking that you didn't necessarily see the fruit that came from your sacrifice. But what I'm here to tell you as a messenger of God is to let you know that even if you didn't see it right now, there are generations that are going to thank you because you imparted into your son. You imparted into your daughter. 
You imparted into people that you didn't even think you would see again. But you didn't count it robbery of what you held in your spirit to be able to give to somebody else. As we look at this and as we even celebrate this on Mother's Day, we need to understand that Jesus valued women so much that he went against the grain. He allowed Mary to sit at his feet, which was literally kind of like against the law at that time. Women were the first people to actually hear about the resurrection and go tell the other brothers. Jesus said, I'm gonna go, I want you to go tell because if I tell these guys first, they're going to keep it to themselves. But I know if I give it to you, one man, you're going to go tell everybody. <laughs> and sometimes we look at that and we kind of say, oh, you know, that's kind of a downer. No, lean into that. Lean into the fact that God knows he can trust you with the word, that he can trust you with impact, that he can trust you with being a conduit of the resurrection. And so as I'm thinking about this and as I've been praying through this and as I even wrote this message, I value my wife not just because, oh, you know, yeah, I get to get a kiss in between my message. I value my wife because when I see her, I see her not as competition to me, but I see her as a compliment to me. Meaning that when I lean into her makeup and how God made her, we're not saying, oh, you're getting to shine now and the other person's not. We're saying, no, when you win, I win. When I win, you win. When you're leading, when you had the women's night the other night on Thursday, I was at home praising God for you. Somebody said amen to that. Because there is something that God has put in women to see that sometimes men just don't see. And so I want to do something because I want to let you know, men, you may have thought, okay, I just came to actually hear about women today. Here it is. The reason I asked you to help me with the message today is because our major responsibility in all these things is to affirm all the things that we've said today. It's to affirm the women in our lives and push them forward into the things of God, to wash them with the word, to be a standard they can look at and say, if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And so I just believe that we're a church that is going to be able to compliment each other and show God's grace in a way like never before. Because the good news is, is that Jesus broke the curse by going to the cross. Amen? Amen. I want to do this now. I want every woman in here just to stand on your feet. Every woman, stand on your feet. Hallelujah. Can we bow our heads all over the room? First of all, I want to just do a room check, and even those who are worshiping online, there are some people in the room right now who you said, I, I hear all these things. Yes, I've been fed with all these different things in society. And this all sounds good about Jesus breaking the curse, but I don't even know Jesus. I haven't accepted him in my life, and I have not made him Lord and Savior in my life. Therefore, I live by these ways of the curse. But if you're in here today and you say, I, didn't even, I never thought about it like that, and maybe Jesus is not Lord of my life, but I want him to be Lord of my life today, if that's you, with everybody with their heads bowed, can you just lift your hand in the air right now so I can pray for you? I see some hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. Basically, you're saying right now that I don't want to operate in this curse anymore. I want the abundant life and I want eternal life. And so if you would, all those who, lifted your, who raised your hand, can we all repeat this prayer after me? Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that the cross broke the curse. So right now, I repent. I turn from my way of sin, 
I turn from my way of doing things and I turn towards your way of doing things. Today, I declare that you are Lord and Savior over my life and I will live for you forevermore. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, women, I want you to do this because this is very important as we close today. And I know it's a lot of you, and I just need you to just follow me for a moment. This is very important. I need every woman just to come down to the altar. Every woman, come on down to the altar. Come on down to the altar. I want to do something intentionally in this moment. Come close. Come close. Hallelujah. I know everyone won't make it down to the physical altar, but at least be out in the aisle. Get out of your regular place. Because we're going to walk in something in this moment that's a sign unto you of your value. So while we were preparing this message, even all the campus pastors, what we said is that, yeah, there's a whole lot of things you could talk about on Mother's Day. We could give a rah-rah speech. But what we really wanted to do is we wanted to say we wanted to basically give a letter to our sisters. And so we wrote a letter that we want to read over you. Why? Because you are so valuable, but sometimes you don't hear that enough. You're so valuable, but so many things are, are giving you different messages. So many people have told you something different. And so that we wanted to say, at least in these four walls of the church, you can come in here and understand that you have a community that's for you, that's covering you, and that believes in you. And so we wrote a letter specifically to you that you'll be able to even download later so you can repeat it. But I want to read this letter over you. And as I read it, some of you may want to just close your eyes and receive it. Some of you can just do whatever you need to do. But just really open your heart to receive this letter from the Lord through even your pastors. It's a letter to my sisters. Ladies, we thank God for you. You are incredible and you are a gift. Today, as the men of this house, we repent for not always seeing you as the gift that you are. We repent for the times we've overlooked you. We repent for the times we've taken you for granted. We repent for the times we have not honored and served you the way that you deserve. We repent for the times we've objectified you. Women, you were made to be loved, not lusted. You were made to be protected, not exploited. You were made to be cared for, not taken advantage of. You were made to be empowered, not controlled. Ladies, you are worth fighting for. You are worth walking with in your hurts. You are worth covenant. You are worth a man laying down his life. You are not discardable. You're absolutely irreplaceable. We value you. Jesus loves you and we do too. You are special and we will be lost without you. We need you and we need you to be you. You were designed to bring and breathe new life into this world. We need you to walk side by side with us to lead how God made you to be. Lead with compassion and nurturing strength and wisdom and passion. Teach us how to worship. Teach us how to love. Teach us how to have grace. Teach us how to be more like Jesus and show us what wholeheartedness looks like. We declare the curse is broken off of your life. Men, repeat this after me. Say, you are free. We declare your value comes from God's image on you. Men, repeat this after me. Say, you are free. 
We declare that God created you for greatness. Men, repeat after me. Say, you are free. So today we bless you. We pray God will set you free from the curse-fueled expectations of society to look a certain way and to act a certain way and attain a certain degree of success in order to finally be valuable. We rebuke anxiety and depression off of your life right now. And we ask God to give you his shalom. We bless your children and we declare your children's hearts belong to the Lord God Almighty. We pray the Holy Spirit will give you grace upon grace to continue parenting them well. We thank you for serving and leading and giving and sacrificing for your family and for this church family. We are so thankful to be part of your lives. God bless you today and every day. We love you. Sincerely, your brothers. Amen. 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 I want to do something as we close. Can I have every woman just turn around? Just turn around. Just turn around. Turn around. Turn around. Face out. Men, as they turn around, I want you to stretch your hands towards them. I saw this as a moment that many times, again, we live in a world where there are so many things competing and, and, and making us be in contention with one another. But ladies, I want you to see this as a sign that as we complement each other and as we cover each other, we are still as men called to cover you, to protect you. And so this is even indicative of, of you see men pointing at you, stretching their hands to pray for you. And then you have your back turned towards the altar, which represents the presence of God. And so I want you to understand every time you walk out, every time you move around the city, you move around and go to work, that you can go knowing that you are covered by the men of your community, that you are covered in prayer and that we value you. And so we just want to pray over you. Men, pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And we pray with fervor right now, covering the value of these women. God, we even repent right now for those things that we have done that we have not stepped up in the right way to protect them and make them feel safe. But right now, God, we ask that you let them know that they are covered, that they are whole, that they are valuable to us, and they can trust us. That we will be those who raise up a standard against anything that tries to come against them. And we declare that we will not push them to the side, but we will walk side by side with them, allowing their life to breathe out and add value to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Give God praise in the house. Women, you can make your way back to your seats. Come on, man, stand up and put your hands together for the women as they make their way back to the seat. God bless you. Victory, we love you.